0: Second Corinthians chapter five, as we here are learning through Paul, through this letter, through Second Corinthians, what does it mean now to be a new creation? Now today's title of today's message means a new creation." Why? Because this is exactly why Paul has been talking about in the last two chapters in regards to the transformation and the focus that God has given us. He's been talking about and setting it up for two chapters to bring us to this place now. Now, what has he been mentioning? He's been mentioning, well, I'm focused on heaven. He has a focus for heaven, he's told us already. And this focus for heaven allows him to put his eyes on eternity not his eyes on temporal things, but his eyes on eternal things. And he's told us this focus puts my eyes on things that are eternal. I remove my eyes from things that are temporary, he's told us. And he told us that he's able to do this as he realizes that his affliction is just for a moment. That's there's so much peace in that, realizing that when I look to heaven, I realize that the affliction, that the pain, that everything that I'm going through today, it's only for a moment. It's only for a moment. Then I know that the body that I have is only just a tent. And when I'm absent from this tent, I'm going to be present with God. Therefore, with that being said, he says, I make it my aim. I have a goal. I have a target. I I, I have something that I'm working towards. And that's to please God. You see, when you know that this is just a tent. One day I'm going to be before God. I want to please Him. Paul is saying, I don't want to please people. Because it was too easy at this time for the prophets, for the apostles, for the disciples, even for those that were false apostles, to rise up and teach a doctrine to be pleasing to people. How many of us today know that God has not called us to teach something to please people? He has called us to teach the undefiled, not watered down, uncompromising word of God. And there's He saying, I just want to please the Lord. And I'm motivated to please Him. What motivates me to please Him the most is that I know that one day I will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and I will be held accountable. Does that motivate you at all today? If you, if you came demotivated today, maybe discouraged today, maybe you're thinking that, you know, the enemy wants to come after me or everything in my life is not going well. I pray that you would be motivated to please God knowing this, church, knowing this, that one day you will stand before God. No one will be excused. No one will be exempt. No one's time to stand before the judgment seat of Christ will be looked over. We will all stand in that divine appointment that day and answer to the things of what we did on earth. And that's what He's been telling us. Everything that we did on earth will matter in heaven because He will try your works by fire. And whatever lasts in that fire, your motives will be exposed. Your intentions will be exposed. The true motivation of your mind will be exposed. And whatever remains there is really what was there to glorify God. Now do you see why He wants to please Him with such a pure heart? Because He knows one day He's going to stand before God and He cannot remain hidden. Sometimes we think that we can hide our agenda or our motivation to man. And yes, sometimes we can but understand, God is looking straight into your heart right now. And He understands why you do what you do. He knows why you really do it. And when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, you will answer, you will be held accountable. Therefore, Paul is saying, I want to displease Him, because I know one day I cannot be hide before God. Now let's read here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13, as he's saying, I not only am living with the goal, I'm living with a fearful responsibility and today we're going to cover the last major point of where we left off last week where it says, I'm living for the glory of God alone. Who do you live for? Who do you live for? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 13, for if we are beside ourselves, if you think we are crazy, if we're, if you think that we're irrational for going through all of this affliction for the glory of God, understand this in verse 13, if you think we're beside ourselves, it is for God. If you think that we're irrational, if you think that we're radical, if you think we're illogical, and going through all these afflictions for the sake of the gospel, we're doing it for God. I want you to know that. It might not make sense to the world, but it's for God. Now sometimes people are going to look at your life and say that does not make sense the way you live your life. It doesn't make sense how much you go to church. It doesn't make sense how much of your time you reserve and you dedicate, you set apart for God. That sounds irrational. Or everything you have to go through so that you can serve in ministry. Where he says, if it sounds irrational or illogical or you think that I'm beside myself, it's for God. Notice this as he continues, or if, he gives them two reasons as to how they look at him or perceive him. Or if we are of a sound mind or you think that this actually makes sense, it is for you. The New Living Translation reads this verse like this. If it seems that we're crazy, it is for the glory of God. And If we are in our right mind, if you think we're in our right mind, it is for your benefit. Now, why is he saying this? Because either way, one or the other, they were looking at Paul. And they didn't necessarily understand why he did these things. And in verse 14, he introduces us to Why? Do you not understand why I'm doing this? Why you're doing this all? Why you're putting yourself through this? It's because the love of Christ compels us. Now that's the answer that we should have for the world. I'm going through the pain. I'm going through the trials with this attitude. I'm going through it with this perspective, with this mentality, with this focus. Because the love of Christ compels me. That's why. It motivates me, it's a driving force, it's my motivation, it's what keeps me going, the love of Christ compels us. Not only that I'm going to have to answer to Him one day, but it's the love of Christ that's compelling me. Verse 14, for the love of Christ compels us, it is the motivation, it is the love of God that keeps me on the right path, that guides me on the right way. It is His love that changes me. It is His love that dominates my life, Now it controls me. It is the love of Christ that compels It is pulling me in with His gentle cords of love, drawing me in with His love. Therefore, this is why I live this way. How many of us can really say, it's the love of Christ that compels me? It's not the money that compels me. It's not the world that compels me. It's not that next title, the career that compels me. It's the love of Christ that compels me and that it, it moves me. I'm moved by the love of Christ. Now he tells us this in verse 14 as we go on. It's the love of Christ that compels us because we judge thus that if one died, we've come to this conclusion that if one died, then all died as well. Now what does he mean by this? If one died, he's talking about Christ. The love of Christ, the same love that led him to die on the cross for our sins. That love motivates me to live my life for him. Now when you look at the cross, it should motivate you, it should change you. It should transform you from your mind to your heart to your actions. Does it do anything to you when you look at the love of Christ? When we look at the cross, it's not just a symbol. To remember back at what Christ has done. It's also a symbol to remember what Christ wants you to do as well. To die to self. It is a representation of what ultimate sacrifice and love looks like. So that all can die as well. Die to what? He would say. Well, all would die to self. Paul is saying here, the love of Christ compels me because I've come to the conclusion, if He died for me, then I also have died to self so that I can live for Him. Notice this, one died for all. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 tells us this, He Himself, He Himself, Jesus, is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. He is the one that pays the price for our sins. Not only for our sins, but notice this, but for the sins of all the world. Now I love this because Jesus Christ paid the price and He atoned for your sins and for my sins. But not only for my sins, for the sins of all the world. It's not just secluded to a race, an ethnicity, a demographic, a region or a certain people. He died for all. Circle all in your Bible that you would understand that. He died for all so that us, our response should be that you know what now that i know that christ died for me i'm going to die to self to my desires to my agenda to my wants because he died for me so that i can live for him (laughs) see christ did not go to the cross to die on the cross for your sins so that you can live your old life and i want us to remember that he didn't go to the cross so that you can live your old life he went to the cross so that he can give you a new life (laughs) a changed life, a transformed life, a better life, a life that's living for Him, a life that has been freed from the power of sin. So because He was my substitution, and He paid the price for my sin, I can now identify with that act of love, with a responsive act of love, and saying, I'm going to die to self so I can live for Him. Notice in verse 15, He sums it all up. Speaking of the death of the cross speaking of a new life in Jesus Christ and he said and he died for all again He's going to define what this means He's going to take us in in very simplistic terms. This should be the mission statement of the Christian And this is amazing because even as we go now to Christmas Christmas Eve And we celebrate and we see the decorations and the lights all over the place and we see it all commercialized we can remember one thing Jesus came to be born so that He can die for you and for me for our sins. That is the message of Christmas. It is found there. That is the pure message of Christmas, that God loved the world, that He sent His Son only to be born so that He can die. Think about that. And He died for all. That is the mission statement of the Christian. Notice this. He died for all that those who live, And if you want to really break that down, He said, He's dying for us so that us who live should no longer. Now, no longer is important because we once in the past lived for ourselves. In the past, you lived for what you wanted. Now you live for what God wants. There's a lot of times that people say, well, I don't want to. It Doesn't matter what you want to. What we want is going to take us down a path of disobedience. What does God want? That we no longer... Live for themselves. Who do you live for today? This is an amazing verse here. Live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again. Now this is a new life that God has given you. This is a new mission statement. This is a new focus. He said, He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. But for Him who died and rose again, that you would live for fellowship with Christ. When you think about your life today, do you think about rearranging or arranging every goal, everything in your agenda, everything in your calendar for Him who died for you so that you can live for Him? Jesus went to the cross so that you can live a new life in Him. Because of that, He didn't go to the cross so you can live your new life the old way. A lot of times we say, you know what, Jesus went to the cross so that he, I can live, have a new life. In this new life, I'm gonna live it my way. <laughs> that's not the way He that's not the way it's supposed to happen. This new life that Christ gave you, He didn't give it to you, so you can live it the same way you left your old life. That's the old life. That person had died. When you got you chose to get baptized, you said, Jesus, come into my cross, in my heart as my Lord and Savior. That old man that went into that water was buried. That old person. And a new person came out. Now not a better version. <laughs> so we think, you know what? It's the old me, but it's a better version. It's 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 me 2.0 right now. I got an upgrade when I came to Jesus. It's not that. <laughs> it's an entirely new person as a whole, from beginning to end. Is it? Did he? You didn't come back just kind of mend. Did he kind of fix something and said, "All right, I just need to work on this." And he said, "I'm going to give you. I'm going to make a new person, an entirely new person out of this. Brand new, completely." And that's why in verse 14, it should make us ask the question, who do you live for today? Who do you live for today? Because you can say you live for God, but if you're living your life the old way, you're really not living for God then. We have to make that distinction. We have to know how to distinguish that. We have to discern that. I'm just living my old life again. This is not living for Christ. And he's saying, he died for those... That they who live should live a new life and live for Him. And Romans 6, 11 says this, Likewise you, not someone else, likewise you, reckon yourself, consider yourself dead indeed to sin. I, we consider ourselves today, we're dead when it comes to sin. When it comes to sin, I'm dead. <laughs> reckon yourself, consider yourself dead to sin, but I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're alive to Christ Jesus our Lord. We're dead to that old person. That old desire, we're dead to that. And we are alive now to Christ Jesus our Lord. It is a new person living for Christ because He died for me so that I can live for Him. Now in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, later on, Paul tells the church of Rome, look what he tells them now. Based off what Christ did for you. We can even, let's illustrate it even more to our time. Based off of Christ. Being born. <laughs> Based off of Christmas. Think about this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, Romans 12.1, I beg you, I urge you, I command you today. If you're listening, please understand this message. I beg you, I command you, I, 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 I exhort you, I encourage you by the mercies of God. How many of you guys think right here that God has been merciful upon your life? That He forgave you. Amen. He's forgiven us. Hey, where would you be without the mercy of God? We wouldn't be here it would be lost. I beg you because God forgave you. He's saying here. I beg you because God overlooked your sin because of His Son Jesus Christ. I beg you because of that. Then now you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Then now you come with your body and say, Lord, I am the sacrifice. A lot of times we don't want to sacrifice. The entire Bible is about self-sacrifice to live for God. Dying to self. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. How can I be a living sacrifice? Staying away from sin. That's how you can start. A living sacrifice. A sacrifice that's for the, not world, but a sacrifice that's for God. Think about this. Before Christ, we were a sacrifice for the world. That's what we were. We were a living sacrifice, but we were for the world, that living sacrifice. Now that living sacrifice is holy, think about what it says here, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. What what does that mean, which is your reasonable service? Based off what Christ did, the only reasonable, rational reaction that should come from the life of the believer is to say, Lord, I'm going to live a life of obedience to you now. That is the only thing that makes sense. Do you understand that, church, today? The only thing that makes sense when you realize that God forgave you is to say, I must offer my body. I must offer my life now as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is my reasonable service. This is the only thing that makes sense. This is my ministry. My life is my ministry. Not going to church is my ministry. My life is my ministry. So anything that comes in the way of God, I'm going to move that to the side because my life is my ministry and it's going to involve some sacrifice because it's for God. Now notice what it says here this, and do not be conformed to this world. You cannot say that you're living for God if you're conformed to this world, to the pattern of this world, to the trend of this world. This world has trends and has patterns that is swaying us and pulling us away from God. Do not be conformed to the world. You know what conform? Do not look like the world. You weren't designed. God didn't go to die on the cross for your sin so that you can look just like the world. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be here transformed. Be changed. Be renewed by the renewing of your mind that your mind changes now that you may prove what is good and what's acceptable and what's the perfect will of God. What is your life today proving? Does your life prove the will of God? Or does your life prove something completely opposite of that? God went and sent His only Son, Jesus, so that you can prove with your life. You can prove His will with your life. You can prove what it means to live for Him. And we go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. Look what He tells us now. Therefore, from now on, from now on. Didn't we say that today? From now on, December, from, from today, December the 8th. 2019 from now on I've made a decision this, this has to do with someone that's made a decision in their mind from now on I love this therefore from now on we regard no one according to the flesh because we live for God since we live for God we don't evaluate things by the world standards from now on now you see, from now on, I'm not measuring my goal, my success. I'm not measuring anything else Paul is saying here from the world standards. From now on, we regard no one or nothing according to the flesh, or we don't evaluate things, we don't have a worldview just like the world anymore. We don't have the the the, the world's mentality from now on, our mentality has changed. You see, because Christ made this new life possible through Jesus. Because Jesus has made this way possible because of the cross, our old earthly attachments are far less important. Think about the things that you so choose to protect. And you're protecting those things, the things of this world that maybe you have, that you work for so hard. Maybe it's something that you've always wanted. But he's saying, but from now on, those things that used to mean to me so much they don't mean that much anymore to me anymore because I'm living for God. The mentality that I had one day, it has changed now because I live for God now. Therefore, from now on, I evaluate no, no, nothing according to the flesh. From now on, I don't look at the things the way I used to look at them. Because I have now a different point of view. I don't look at things from an earthly human of view. How do you look at things? How do you now see things? Everything else is far less important as it once was. The things that used to matter, they don't matter that much anymore. The way that I perceive things, I don't perceive them anymore because I have a different viewpoint in life as a whole now because I have a changed worldview because Christ has died for my sins and now I live for Him. When you, when you live for Christ, He's changed everything about us. And how, what, how, does, how is it that He doesn't evaluate everyone according to the flesh? Because He's not looking at the things that He can see. He's looking at the things that He can't see. He's not being attached to His own body because He knows it's only an earthly tent, And that one day He's going to be in heaven. That's why because he walks by faith and not by sight, because he doesn't glory in appearance, but he's looking and searching for the things of the heart. Do you see how everything about Paul is spiritual? These are spiritual decisions that he's making. Because now I live for God, everything else is much less important now. Nothing competes for him. See, because of all these reasons that Paul is giving us, we can look at not the image of the appearance that we're so used to looking. We look at the substance of the heart because we have been transformed now. And I look at things differently now. He's saying in verse 16, even though, verse 16, we have known Christ according to the flesh. Even though I've known him in the flesh, I don't look at things in the flesh anymore. Even though I know Him in the flesh, I don't look at things in the flesh anymore. Because now I I know Him differently. Even though we know Him according to the flesh, Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. There was a time where I knew Christ only in the flesh. But I don't know Him like that any longer. There was a time where I knew about Him. You see, Paul had heard about Christ. Paul maybe had talked to eyewitnesses about Christ. And he says, you know, one day we we knew Christ in the flesh. And one day we measured things from the flesh's point of view. But I don't know Christ in the flesh anymore. I don't know him that way. I don't just know about him. I know Christ in the spirit now. Because I've been born again, I have been transformed now. And because I know him in the spirit and not in the flesh anymore, because I've been born again, I remember him and I know him now through the Holy Spirit that's changing my life. See, it's not only enough to remember Christ according to the flesh. It's not only enough to know about Him. You must be transformed by Him. And that's what he's saying. I don't know Him that way anymore. I have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. And now I can be an effective follower of Christ because I know Him by the Spirit. The Spirit is changing my life. I understand Him now more. There are a lot of times in our life where we say, Well, I know about Him. But knowing about Him, what does that do? It doesn't change you. You must be born again of the Holy Spirit. Think about the disciples. The disciples were very poor followers of Jesus Christ up until the point of the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit came upon them and then they became such effective followers for Christ because they had the power of the Holy Spirit that was changing them from the inside out. You know, knowing Christ by the flesh doesn't guarantee anything. We must say, Lord, I want to be known. I want to know you by the Spirit. I want, I want to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. I don't want to just know you by the flesh. I want you to transform me. I want the process of regeneration to begin in my life. That is the Holy Spirit working in your life from the inside out now. Now you know Christ differently. Now you live for Him. Now you want to please the Lord. Because the Holy Spirit is doing a work in your life that leads to a new creation. Do you see how that process is beginning? See, now I know Him differently. Now I know Him because I've been born again. Now I have an intimate relationship with Him now. And everything that used to matter to me doesn't matter to me that way anymore. Because Christ is number one now. What is number one in your life? A lot of the times we say, well, I live for Christ. He is number one. He's the Lord and Savior of my life. He is my master. But everything in our life proves something completely different. If He's your master, then why don't you ever spend time with Him? (laughs) If He's your master, how come you never read His Word? If He's your master, how come you don't pray? That's why in verse 15, it says it so specifically, He died for those that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again. Why? Because He died so that you can live for Him. Let's move on to verse 17. And He tells us now, Therefore, again, this is amazing, because He's building a case to lead us to this, that He's living for Christ. Nothing else matters now. I have a different mentality. The things that used to matter to me don't anymore. Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Amen. Now this is a testimony. This is our life story. You look back and you look at your life and say, Lord, I'm not that person anymore because I am a new creation. I remember when I used to identify, you would think to the world, I used to identify to those desires that I had those cravings, I had that hunger, that's what I wanted to do. But now I don't have the desire, I don't have that craving, I don't want to do those things anymore, because the Holy Spirit is in my life, and I have a craving, a desire to be in the Word of God. I am a new creation. And I love how it says here in verse 17, If anyone is in Christ. Now, this is a promise that we have in verse 17. This is a total promise here in verse 17. If you love promises of the Bible, this would be one. <laughs> because it says, if anyone. Now, that's where the promise starts. If anyone. does isn't say just if, if some people. He's saying, if anyone. If anyone, what? Is in Christ. He is a new creation. <laughs> Do you see how you can read that differently now? If anyone is in Christ, he is... A new creation who is a new creation those that are in Christ it's impossible to expect a new creation from those that are not in Christ there are times in our life that we expect a new creation from someone a new life from someone they're not in Christ why are you expecting a new creation however it's not impossible or it's not unusual For someone that's a new creation to say I'm a Christian because they have an absolutely new life let's read what it says here now if anyone is in Christ he is that person is this is a promise only to those who are in Christ it's not a promise to those that are not in Christ this is not a promise to those that are for living who are in themselves those that are in religion those that are in a, a goal that leads only to them This is not a promise for those that are in something or someone else. That's not a promise for them. Or I'm into that. I'm in that. That's not a promise for for those. It's a promise for those that are in Christ. Those are a new creation. Those people are a new creation. And it tells us this. All things, the past, has passed away. Behold, look, understand. Now it says in verse 17. All things have become new. Well, isn't that amazing? Oh, you not only have been forgiven, you also have been changed in verse 17. That's amazing that God not only forgives you, He also changes you. His goal, is end goal is not to just forgive you. Sometimes we think, as long as God has forgiven me, I'm living a Christian. That's not a Christian. Not only forgiven, it also means repentance. It also means transformed. That's a Christian. Be more like Christ. It doesn't mean I come and I raise my hand and Jesus Christ has forgiven me by my sins. I got baptized. I'm going to heaven. No, it means forgiveness and it means changed. I am a new creation. All things have passed away. I've been restored to the plan and the will of God. I'm fellowshipping with God. All things are made here or have become new. Notice that word become. Because it's not something that happens overnight. It's something that you are constantly changing as a new creation. Uh, We are a new creation today, but we are going to consistently be changed to that new creation every single day. Do you notice what this says, what this means? That our old life is past. We don't have to go back to that. I can have a new life now. In Colossians chapter 3 verse 3 it tells us this for your you died your old life you died and your life is hidden or your life is covered in Christ in God now now our life is hidden it's it's covered it's secluded it's secured with Christ and God now because I am a new creation because I am in Christ it doesn't mean you're perfect it means that we're consistently being changed by the power of the Holy Spirit to be more like Jesus. What makes a new creation, you would say? Only God can do that. Sometimes we pray and say, I'm going to make a new creation out of my husband, if that's the last thing I do, you know. (laughs) I'm going to make a new creation of that wife that I have. My kids, I'm going to show them what a new creation looks like when they get home today. (laughs) The only one that can do the new creation at work is Christ Jesus. Because it's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's only something that God can do in, in someone's life. This is, isn't just, I'm turning an, over a new leaf. It's, this is not a New Year's resolution, <laughs> a new creation. This is you saying, I'm, I'm done living for myself. I'm done with the ego. I'm done with the pride. I'm done with the selfishness. I'm living for Christ from here on out. And it's not something that God does for us. I want you to know, it's not new creation is not something He does for us. New creation is something that He does in us. Does that make sense? It's something that God does in us. He does it in our own life. He starts from the inside out. That's the new creation. It's not you just getting your act together. It's from the inside out. You're changed and you're transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the process of regeneration. We talk about regeneration. It means that the Holy Spirit's taking over my life and your life, and we're becoming a brand new person. Our desires, our mentality, our view, everything is changing all the time. Because it's changing to please God, not ourselves. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22 says this, that you put off, put it off today. Take it off like dirty clothes. Church, some of us are still wearing that old clothes that we wore in the world. Take that thing out. It's outdated now. It's outdated. and You are dated now as a new creation. This says that you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful laws. Put it off. Put it off. You're a new creation now. You can't be a new creation wearing those old clothes. And it says, and be renewed. Be made new by the spirit of your mind. It starts in your mind. You made the decision, Lord, I want from my mind, from my thoughts, from my actions, from my mentality to be new. I don't want it to be old, my own stubborn, prideful way. It says here now, renewed by the spirit of your mind, that you then put on the new man, which is created according to God in true righteousness and in holiness. The old man is created according to corruption. The new man is created according to holiness. Notice, in Ephesians 4, verse 22, what does it say? Put off, and then put on. A lot of us, the reason why we have not put on that new clothes, that new garment of Christ, now, that we have not put on what we have been clothed by the mercy and the grace of God, we cannot put that on until we first take off the old man. And we will always struggle with that. The new man will never be visible and apparent in your life. Never will the new man be apparent until you first take off that old man. That's why He says, from now on, my mind has changed. Because from now on, I've taken off that old man so that I can put on the new man. The new man will never come on. The the Lord has this this beautiful thing about doing it with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will not clothe you if you're clothed already with something else. (laughs) And sometimes we're clothed with sin, we're clothed with corruption, we're clothed with the old self. The Holy Spirit says, "I will not clothe that. We have to put this off. All things are become new. How do they become new? This is the language. All things that become new is the language. from God's Word, of God's perfect will, of God's perfect workmanship, of God's recreated work in your life, He wants to do something new. Isn't this amazing that he wants to do something new here? Do we understand this? That He wants to do something new in your life and our lives? That is His whole plan. Verse 18, it says this, Now all things are of God. Now this entire process, it's of God. And I want you to underline this because this is the work of God. This is not a work of man. It's not something that we can do again. All things are of God. That means that if, if this is of, if everything's of God, that means that this process of regeneration, it's a gift from God to you. God has a special gift for you. Did you know that? And His gift for you is to make you a new person. And it says here, All things are of God who has reconciled. He reconciled. He wasn't even on the fall. He wasn't even in the wrong. Have you ever been in that place where you're not even wrong, but you pursue reconciliation? It wasn't even God's fault. It was ours. We were the ones in the wrong. But He came and reconciled with us. He didn't give us the silent treatment. He didn't say, you know what, until they they choose to to, to, to finally live their lives the right way, then I'll die for them. Did he do that? Did he die? Did he wait for you to get your life together and then he's, all right, I'm ready to die for you? (laughs) Would that have been love? Sometimes we want to forgive people that way. Let me see some change and then I'll forgive you. That's not what Christ did. I love that Christ died for us. While we were still in the wrong. Because that demonstrates true love. He said, I'm not expecting anything. I'm still going to forgive you right now. While you are in sin. Notice what it says in verse 18. Now all things are of God who has reconciled. It's from Him. It's a gift of Him. He reconciled us to Himself. This is amazing that God's grace and mercy. This is His work while we were guilty. Do you understand how grateful we can become to the Lord when we understand this doctrine that while we were guilty while we were guilty He went and still died for us He did not wait for us to get our act together He went to die for us in the middle of our sin and it tells us He reconciled us to Himself through Christ Jesus or through Jesus Christ how did He reconcile? He had to use His Son Jesus a perfect sacrifice so that me and you can have the forgiveness of our sins Jesus went to pay for the judgment of our sins. He said, someone has to pay for forgiveness. God said, I'm going to forgive them, but someone has to pay for it. For the price of their sins. So He said, my son will do it. Ultimate sacrifice, ultimate demonstration of love. He said, someone has to pay for it though. I'm gonna send my son because I love them that much. I'm not only willing to forgive them, I'm willing to give my son to pay the price for their sins. I don't know, when I think about this, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. I I mean, that's so much. so I can't even understand that love now that I have a son. I cannot understand the Lord saying, you know what, in in order for people to be forgiven, you must be willing to give me your son so that he can die for other people's sins. I would say, no way. (laughs) But that's how much God loved us. They say, I love them so much. I'm going to give what I love the most to show them how much I love them. I'm going to give my son. I'm going to give me. I'm going to give my son so that he can die on the cross. He can pay the price for their sins. If somebody else held you accountable for someone else's sins, how would you feel? Christ Jesus was held accountable for our sins. And He paid the price for our sins. And look what it says here. He reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ. And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He did it. Everything is of God. And He has given us this ministry of reconciliation. What does reconciliation mean? It means to remove all enmity. To remove all hatred. To remove to move all division. And to leave no room. No impediment that would come in the way of unity and peace. That's what reconciliation means. Now, because of Jesus Christ, there's unity and there's peace between you and the Father. That's what reconciliation means. There's no division. That means there's unity and peace. Reconciliation means that. Reconciliation means that, that our sins separated us, but God reunited us. That's what separate reconciliation means. In Romans chapter 5, verse 10, it says, For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. We used to be enemies with God. Our sin made us enemies with God. But He reconciled. He removed everything that was standing in the way of unity. Everything that was standing in the way of peace. Everything that was standing in the way of forgiveness. And it says, if we were enemies, we have been reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more having been reconciled. We should be saved by His life. What does reconciliation mean? When you think about you reconciling to someone. And you realize, I I was... Uh, you know enemies with that person that person and I didn't get along we didn't talk we don't even remember why didn't we talk anymore (laughs) somebody was wrong either me or them do you understand the relationship we had with God we were in the wrong and God said I'll still go die for, for you even while you're in the wrong and He died for us so that we can have fellowship now. We'll reconcile now. I can call that person now. I can spend time with that person now. I can go in and we can, we can share one another's emotions and feelings and spend time with one another. What does this mean? That's reconciliation now. There is no reconciliation without Unity. There's no reconciliation without peace. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. He said, let me bring you back into fellowship. Let me bring you back into peace. Let me bring you back into unity. Because one day, your sin separated you. But Jesus came and said, let me bring you back in. To fellowship with the Father. And He brought you. Let me introduce you back to the Father. That's reconciliation. Verse 19. That is. And He's going to define reconciliation for us again. In verse 19. That is here. That God was in christ oh this is there's so much theology and doctrine here god was in christ god here made himself man in the form of a human and became jesus god was in christ notice that christ jesus is god himself and don't let anyone tell you otherwise jesus is god he's not michael the archangel (laughs) he's not a prophet he's not anything else Jesus Christ is God and look what it says here now that in God was in Christ reconciling when he came in the form of his son Jesus Christ he was working to reconcile this was his plan the world to himself what was he doing he came so that the world can be reconciled to himself so that all of us can be reconciled to himself that is the plan of the gospel that is the good news that's what it's called good news Good news, I used to be far from God. Now I'm close. In order for there to be good news, what does there have to be also? Bad news. Bad news was I was on my way to hell. Good news is I'm not on my way to hell anymore. (laughs) Because of what Jesus did. You want to evangelize to someone, tell them that I have bad news or good news for you. Bad news is if you don't have Jesus, you're on your way to hell. Good news is because of Christmas, he sent his son Jesus down the cross. You don't have to go there no more. If you just put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. That is the good news. He's reconciled you. Now let's look at the plan of reconciliation to the gospel. In verse 19, and it says this, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing, not charging them, not accusing them, not holding them accountable. This verse is so important for us. He didn't charge the world for their sin. This is amazing. He didn't charge you for your sin, not imputing their trespasses to them he didn't charge you for your sin he didn't ask you he didn't tell you you're at fault he didn't come and ask for you to be able to pay for the sacrifice of your own sins he did not impute their trespasses to them he didn't say this is all your sin pay for it he did not charge you for your sin that's so amazing that God doesn't charge you for your sin that he didn't hold it against you he didn't hold your sin against you in fact, He said here, He has committed us to the word now, the word of reconciliation. Now, why is this so amazing? It's amazing because of the fact that God did not hold your sin against you. But He sent His Son, and now He's given you, there's an important here, word, and it's the word, word. <laughs> he's given you the word of reconciliation. Now He came to die for the world he came to die for me and now he's given you the word of reconciliation what is that word that's the message just like you have been reconciled to the father he has also called you to reconcile others to him through jesus that's why he gave you that word god's given he has a word for you today and that word is reconciliation God has a word for you today. That word is reconciliation. If you are motivated by reconciliation, just like God reconciled me to Himself through His Son, Jesus, He also has given me this same word, reconciliation. That is the message of Christmas. He's given me the message of reconciliation today. So that I can go and also reconcile others to Christ. I can reconcile others to the Father. In Romans chapter 3, verse 24, it says this, Being justified freely by His grace, He made you right with God, and it was free. He did not charge you anything. He did not hold it against you. He did not condemn you for it. He gave you a free gift. He justified you. He made you right in the eyes of God through His grace. Through the redemption. Now, by rescuing you from the penalty of our sin that is in Christ Jesus. He did it through Christ Jesus. Now, He did that for me. He's given you also a word. What are you going to do with that word that God has given you? Are you? Will you do anything with the word of reconciliation that God has given you? He's given you the word of reconciliation. So that we can take that very same word of reconciliation and take it to others. But well, what does that mean for us? We cannot reconcile anyone if we are not reconciled to God first. He's going to talk about he, how He's an ambassador, representative later. But first He must know, before I can be an ambassador... I must first be reconciled to God. I must be, have unity with God. I must have peace with God. Are you at peace with God right now? Are you at peace with God? Or is there something in the way of standing from your peace with God? Are you at fellowship with God today? What is it that's standing in the way from your peace and your fellowship with God? What is it? Is it your old life? Is it you as a Christian saying, I'm living as a Christian, but my old life, that will stand in the way of peace with God. You might think that you have peace with everything else or everyone else in life and that you're okay. If you do not have peace with God, your life is empty. If you're not at terms with God, if you don't have unity with God, in such a way, guess what? Nothing else matters. And that's why he said, therefore he died so that those who live should not live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Who do you live for? Because when you start to live for Christ, you realize I'm reconciled to Him. I have fellowship. Do you have fellowship today? Do you have fellowship with God? Do you have peace with God? Because it's until that moment, and then we can say, you know what? I want them, I want others to also have peace with God as well. I am a new creation. Everything else in the past passed away. God's given you a new life. And that new life, He hasn't given you so you can live to please your co worker, your boss, your wife, your husband. He's given you the new life so you can please him with that new life. Your new life wasn't given so you can please your old self. Your new life was given so that you can please God. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. We thank you, Jesus.